0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. My name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. Surprise, surprise. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. Hey, so it's our weekend episode, and you know what that means. It
1: means we're just a couple days away from the return of New Jersey Devils hockey.
0: Yes, so the bye week continues to be slow and roll along, as Nico Heischer just had his interview at NHL All-Star Media Day. So congratulations again, Go out to him as he lines up with the NHL's best in the All-Star Classic happening this weekend. So, all very exciting stuff, but the bye week is the operative term here, and because it's our weekend episode, and because we got ourselves all sad talking about how awful this last road trip was, I came up with another game for you, John, and I think you're (laughs) going to do well at this one.
1: Okay. Is the game name things that John likes?
0: Well, almost, in that it's not. Instead, the game is... (laughs) Something along the lines of, the Devils have a bye week this week, so they're taking some time off. I decided to look at some former Devils who took a lot of time off, but during the game. So today, John, we'll be playing <laughs> who are the time-off kings of the New Jersey Devils, a.k.a. give me the top ten Devils with the most penalty minutes within their time in New oh, Jersey. Oh. However... There's a caveat to this. Oh, no. It's going to be even harder. I, I don't think it's going to be harder. I think it might actually give you a few more opportunities, but I have the top ten parsed off. I'm going to give you one attempt to give me ten names, and I will tell you exactly who you got right of the top ten. Okay? <laughs> oh. And then you'll oh, have to name fill all in top the blanks okay. with your second attempt. We'll see how many you can get. I think there uh-huh. are some fairly obvious names in here that you should have no problems with. But just in case, if you say the player's name, I'll give you their number of penalty minutes, regular season penalty minutes, as a New Jersey Devil. Are the rules all clear to you, John? I
1: have to get a piece of paper to make <laughs> sure I don't, like, uh, double up on the same name. Mm-hmm. So you want me to name you ten Devils who I think are the all-time leading penalty minute takers with the Devils only? Yep. And then after I give you those ten, you're going to tell me which ones I got right, and then I get a second crack at the um, the remainder of the list. Exactly. Okay, then. I will get started, then, with, of course, the Legendary. You hear him every game, and if you don't hear him every game, then that means he must be sick or he has a bad throat. Um, Mr. Devil himself, Ken
0: Danico, is probably your PIM leader. Ken Danico isn't just your PIM leader. He's he's your PIM leader by 1,100 penalty minutes.
1: Well, that's what you get when you play literally 1,200 games and throughout the 80s, no less. Mm-hmm. Like There were tons of penalty minutes in the 80s. That's why I'm concerned about this list because I'm not that knowledgeable about the 80s teams, <laughs> uh, But and, and I know those teams were bad, and typically when you're a bad hockey team, you rack up the penalties.
0: If it helps um, you at all, I've heard of almost all of these names on this list. Okay. Uh, and right, well. Ken Danico does come in at number one with 2,516 career penalty minutes. All right. 1,100. Almost 1100 ahead of the second place player.
1: All right. So let me run down the other nine names because I literally just started with one name. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to guess Randy McKay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess the legendary or maybe infamous Christoph Oliwa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to mention, I don't know if he's played long enough, but I feel like he has Mike Peluso. Okay. Bobby Holik definitely is on this list too. He took a ton of penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Holik. I'm gonna also go out and say, I'm definitely gonna add Pat Verbeek to this list.
0: Okay, that brings you to one, two, three, oh, four, oh, five. Hold on. Six names total. Yeah, go six
1: on. names. I got three. I got four more to go. Four so more. I'm writing them all down to make sure I don't double double count or miss anybody. Mm-hmm all right uh who played a very long time and took a lot of penalties that annoyed everybody um I'm gonna go in with a, another outside guess uh David Clarkson okay I think we got to have some defenders on this list so as much as I loved watching him as a kid Scott Stevens is probably a guy who took a his fair share of penalties. He was a, a madman with Washington. I don't know if you've ever seen clips of him in the 80s with Washington, but he'd be your, I score two two points and have two fights every game or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so Stevens I have on the list. He, I'm just putting him on the list because I don't think he's so much a tough guy, but he just played so much with the Devils as well. I'm going to add Bruce Driver to this list.
0: Okay, and I believe that and- leaves you with one more name.
1: Yeah, one more name to pick uh, who racked up the pins. Uh, Colin White.
0: Colin White. Okay. All right. So out of those ten, how many are truly on the list? So, John, you gave me ten names and you got eight of the ones on the top ten list. Excellent. Ken Danico in first place with 2,516. Randy McKay in second with 1,418. In fourth is Scott Stevens with 1,007. Pat mm-hmm. Verbeek is fifth with 943. Bobby Holik is seventh with 863. Colin White is eighth with 848. David Clarkson is ninth with 770, and Christoph Oliwa rounds out the top 10 with 724, which means you're missing the New Jersey Devil with the 3rd and the 6th most penalty minutes.
1: Hmm. Okay, so clearly my big clue here is I need somebody who's A, played a while with the Devils, B, probably played in the 80s, because, again, it was a rougher, tougher, nastier league back then, and C somebody who has been to the penalty box quite a few times because if it's number three it's probably somebody who is a quote-unquote tough guy um
0: so i can tell you that you're correct on all of those counts including the arab however one player was restricted to the 80s and one player played through the 90s as well
1: all right that's another hint all right let me think who i'm probably not going to guess the guy in the 80s and right now my mind is racing through a bunch of guys who played literally like one or two seasons with the Devils and just did like nothing like Rob Squirlack or Cam Jansen, who wasn't in the 90s, but bear with uh,
0: Let me tell you, each of these players has at least 400 games played with the Devils.
1: Oh, goodness gracious. So it's somebody that people would know. Uh,
0: <laughs> one of them for sure. The other one, I'm not so sure.
1: Okay. All right. This is a shot in the dark. I don't think he played enough with the Devils, but I'm going to just say his name anyway. Mm-hmm. Brendan Shanahan.
0: Ooh, Brendan Shanahan is a little bit in the mid-teens of this list of minutes. Okay, so so that's one name gone, and then you have one one, one fail, one attempt to snipe the other name here, or Uh, either of the two names.
1: Either of the two names. All right, so I am going to guess. problem is the devils went through a lot of guys back then (laughs) just a lot of guys like people complain about like there's a lot of player turnover in in the modern age of hockey like the devils back then of course when you're a not good and b you add lou lamorello as your president ceo and gm in eighty in 86 or sorry 88 uh, i'm sorry 87 goodness i should really know that year (laughs) Uh, in the 80s you know there was cleaning house everybody was moved Everybody was traded. Everybody was on the table, so to speak. That being said, eighties through nineties, John McLean.
0: John McLean is number three with wow. eleven hundred and seventy-three penalty minutes as a member of the New Jersey Devils.
1: All right, so he is an example of not so much a you know a guy who takes a lot of fouls, just a guy who's played forever and therefore has a lot of fouls.
0: Yeah, so that's the name I was pretty sure that you were going to get and anyone who follows the team would get. And it's the remaining name on this list, is, which is the one name that I hadn't heard of before making it. So are you ready to reveal who has the sixth most penalty minutes in Devil's history?
1: Who is it, Dan? It
0: is Joe Sorella with 888 penalty minutes. Is
1: he a defenseman, defenseman from the 80s? Defenseman
0: from the 80s, played from 82 yep. to 89, Joe Sorella.
1: Joe Sorella.
0: So there you go, there's your top ten. John, you got nine out of ten. Do you have anything yep. to say to your fans in the Legion supporting you in all these ridiculous trivia games?
1: If I can do it, and if you all believe in yourself and know way too much about hockey and you can have a decent memory, then you can do it too.
0: <laughs> Alright, inspiring as always, and That's our game. Those are the penalty minute kings of New Jersey Devils, the players who took the most time off, not just during the bye weeks, but also during games as well. So I hope you enjoyed that one. And let's get into the rest of what we've got to get into here, which includes taking a look at the team moving forward after this All-Star break. There's a lot of things that could go on with the Devils, but the most important one is arguably the impending trade deadline because that all but decides the direction that the franchise will go moving forward, who gets to stay on as part of that rebuilding process, and who gets a new home in exchange for some picks and possibly a player or two. So we've talked about this at length, so I don't want to spend too long on deadline stuff, but again, I have to ask, given any sort of recent news that happened, Who was the first player to get moved? And also, do you believe that there's any. Do you believe that this interest in Travis Zajac that's being reported was something that was unexpected? Or was it something that they'll continue to explore and maybe then after the season they'll try to move him around?
1: I think it'll probably be something that more likely happens next season because he is going to be on an expiring contract. The news you're referring to, for those those of you who are listening who don't know what Dan is referring to, is that uh, in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts, he dropped this little nugget in number seven on his list, saying that Travis Zajac was uh, asked to waive his trade uh, trade deadline. No. Wave his no trade. He was, trade. Asked, to, he was waived, asked to waive his <laughs> no trade clause, but well in advance of the trade deadline, uh, to an unannounced team, even though Elliot says it was probably the Islanders because Lou Lamorello loves himself some Travis Zajac. Mm-hmm. But Travis said no. Now, granted, as you said, this trade deadline, and even by extension, the offseason is going to really dictate what direction the team is going to go in. And truth be told, whoever the new GM is, whoever the new head coach is, they may look at Travis Zajac and say, look, I know you're a lifer, you did a lot of great stuff for New Jersey, you put in your life in here, but you're 35, your contract is expiring, you're basically surplus to parts. Mm -hmm. And therefore that might help drive that particular discussion. So, I don't think it's going to be something that we're going to see this season, but maybe more likely next season. Mm -hmm. I will say that the first player I would anticipate being traded will probably be Sammy Vatnin, because he is on an expiring contract, he's a right-sided defenseman, he's had his production flatters his season I'll say mm-hmm. he's not had a good good performance in 5 on 5 play he doesn't play penalty kill minutes or at least he doesn't play a significant number of them and his power play time is you know juiced by the fact that uh, his the forwards around him are finishing the plays it's not so much Vatanen is making the plays per se all that and he's you know 28 years old so he's still fairly i don't want to say young but he's definitely not old he's in that nice uh, middle range of age where you know you're going to get a couple good years out of him still it's not just like you know next season you have to worry if he's going to go kaput mm. um so i think vatnan will definitely draw a lot of interest very very soon i wouldn't be surprised if carolina has already started calling up Tom Fitzgerald or whoever is manning the phones or womaning the phones these days. Because
0: of the uh, Hamilton injury, correct?
1: Right, because Dougie Hamilton broke his leg. Mm-hmm. And and Hamilton was making a serious run as a Norris contender this season. Like, this isn't just like, oh, this defenseman's injured, so they got to get another defenseman. It's like, no, they need a serious defenseman. And they probably need it sooner rather than later since Carolina is in a dogfight in the wild card race in the Eastern Conference right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would anticipate that and to be the first to go. And I would imagine guys like Simmons, who doesn't have a no trade clause. So it doesn't matter if he wants to stay or not, because it's not up to him anyway. Um, and other players, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a really shocking move. Like you see somebody who isn't a pending free agent move just to dictate like this is how things how different things are going to be. I wouldn't be super shocked about that. Mm-hmm. But of course, we can't we can only speculate and guess the deals will happen when they happen
0: so let me let me do this rapid fire style with you i'll give you a name and you just tell me yes they will be traded or no they won't okay okay so let's rattle these off like you said sammy vodnan yes or no yes now again this this factors in the context of new gm or interim gm you know different kinds of negotiations going on but sammy vodnan i agree with you he would be a yes andy green no okay wayne simmons yes pk suban
1: No, but next season, possibly.
0: Okay. Miles Wood? I'd like to, but no. (laughs) I don't think think people will acquire him just yet. Okay. Kyle Palmieri?
1: (sighs) Not now, and I really hope not now. Maybe next year.
0: (laughs) And then finally, Blake Coleman?
1: (sighs) I really do not want him to be traded. I think... I I don't want to see him traded. He's one of those players who's going to be useful no matter who the GM is or what direction the team is going in. That being said, there's a very serious temptation to sell him at his peak, and this very well could be his peak season, but I'm going to say no.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to throw out a couple names out there that were prominently featured in trade rivers, or at least guys that were close to or within like a year of finishing their contract i don't think it makes sense to talk about really anyone else maybe severson his name has been floated a few times as well but those are the main guys that have had the rumors not necessarily directly about them swirling but just a lot of speculation regarding those players specifically just given where the devils are and given how the season's shaping up the rest of the way
1: Right. And and just to clarify two two names, uh, Palmieri and Subban, I said next year for both of them. It's not just because next year is Palmieri's last year on his contract and Subban's will be two years away, but it, their salary structure changes quite a bit after this season. So for example, Palmieri, his salary this season is $5 million. He's making a little bit more than his gap. Hit. Next season, his salary is only $4.25 million. So anybody that's a little closer to the cap or maybe wants to save a couple hundred thousand dollars in salary, they're going to be more interested in Palmieri next season. And Subban, Dan, oh, his structure changes dramatically. So this season he's getting paid a flat ten million dollars, which I imagine is maybe a reason why Josh Harris is a little unhappy about how the team is performed this season because right. they're giving PK Subban eight figures. However, next season he'll get paid eight million dollars, Dan, but six million of that is in a signing bonus. Mm-hmm. His base salary is only two million dollars. Oh, okay. So, so. The Devils, yes, they may have to retain a little salary even if they make a move next season. But if you're a team that wants a ca- large cap hit but doesn't want to spend a lot of money like, I don't know, Ottawa, uh-huh. just throwing a team out there, you know, just for kicks. Oh, you know, just hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. They may want to call up the Devils on July 2nd, 2020 and say, so, Subban available? <laughs> <laughs> because I, presume, I think the salary, salary uh, bonuses, they get paid out on July 1st or depending on whatever the contracts dictates, I think that's maybe more accurate, but there, you know, yes, you may have to eat $8 million, but you could get a PK Subban for a large cap hit, but pay him at a discount that might interest a guy own. Uh, that might interest a guy like Eugene Melnick to tell his, uh, GM eat that, uh, Hey, go get this defenseman and have him play with Thomas Shabbat and watch be amazing and make Montreal fans, uh, and their heads explode
0: <laughs> yeah and that's the kind of thing where if someone asks that question you can't really say no given where the devils are now so
1: no exactly
0: all i'm sure all avenues will be explored by anyone and everyone because they've got to turn this thing around there's been a lot of losing recently and so with that comes a lot of potential opportunity as players get shipped off to new destinations so i wanted to close this episode off by um, you know answering some questions related to who's going to get a chance to shine at the NHL level. And we actually got one on Twitter. Who is it from again? So
1: this comes from Ken Cohen, who is known as at KC devil. So he clearly is a, a devil's fan b uh, a fan of, or an alumnus of university of Maryland. And C is a fan of something Casey related, but well, maybe the chiefs, maybe sporting KC, maybe Casey, of Casey and the sunshine band, Royals. maybe the city of, the, the Royals, I guess, if you care about baseball. And, you know, or maybe the city of Kansas City uh, in general. Who knows? But Ken Cohen asks, maybe it's his initials. It probably, probably is. One. Okay, so Ken Cohen asked, should New Jersey bring up Binghamton Devils prospects or let them continue their winning ways down there? And this is going to be a big temptation uh, down the stretch since, you know, the Devils have nothing much to play for, so why don't you just call up these guys from Binghamton? And, again, to Ken's point, is that while the team is now doing very well down there after a really, really, really bad start to their season, they've kind of turned things around dramatically with a big winning streak. They just had a big comeback win in Utica the other night. Mm. Um, Or was it? Yeah, it was Utica. Five unanswered goals. It was wonderful. Um, You know, I'm not saying the team is definitely guaranteed going to make the playoffs, but there is something to be said that in an organization that's seen a lot of losing in recent seasons – it helps to have the AHL team have something to play for. At least some guys have something to play for. Okay. Um, that being said, the other factor is that a lot of the Binghamton players I don't think are very good or re- very close to, uh, as we say, ready for prime time at the moment. Uh-huh. So I know there were a lot of guys that were called up last season out of necessity. That's where you got McLeod, but that's also where you got Nathan Bastian. It's also where you got Joey. Well, Joey Anderson actually started on the team last season along with Brett Sini, but, he, but you also got looks from – Several other players like Kevin Rooney, like uh, Colton White and Josh Jacobs for a handful of games. You got to see um, – I'm blanking on those. There were just so many names from last season. Yes. There were 44 total players that played for the Dells, I think, that season. So a lot, you know, you had most of the Binghamton forwards in last season, and they played like AHLers. <laughs> they, they, they just were not ready to play at the NHL level, and it showed. So – you know, there's something to be said about you need to be a little more judicious in terms of who you call up. So I would limit it to the guys that I think the Devils may want to see if they're closer now than they were, say, back at training camp. Guys right. like Bastian Anderson. If you want to give um, a shout out to uh, Sharon Govich, I think that's a real stretch. Um, I think some guys are better better left in the AHL for right now. I'm referring more to guys like Jign- Jignac. Maltsev, uh, guys who are fairly new to American professional hockey are just getting their feet wet in the AHL because of past injuries. I think if they're in a good place right now and they're being successful, let them be successful because mm-hmm. that's the other aspect is that you can't just call up guys willy-nilly. You still have an active roster limit until the trade deadline uh, passes. So you, and, and there's no value to hold on to players that you're just not going to play. So you know you have to almost wait for somebody to be moved or somebody to be injured. Uh, Or you take a risk on moving somebody currently on the roster down to the AHL just to say, hey, go get some minutes. Like Jesper Bokvist is a really interesting case, Dan, Mm -hmm. because I don't know if you knew this. Uh, The Devil's Insiders confirmed this. Uh, His European assignment clause ended in December.
0: Oh, okay. So he instead of going back, he can actually go to the AHL.
1: Right. And that's where he is this week. Yep. Um, he actually scored a goal in that big comeback win against Utica. Cause I feel like Bolkvis is definitely one of those players as much as you and I would like to see him in New Jersey and develop and grow. The AHL may be a better place for him to not just get walloped every other night or get stuck playing nine minutes a- across from John Hayden, mm-hmm. which does nothing for him. And it does nothing for Hayden and it does nothing for anybody except for the opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, let him go down to the AHL and get some confidence, get some, some get some victories, so to speak, in his game, and just work on his game against players that he could probably do well against, where his speed can be more of an asset, and he can play with guys that will literally play at his speed, like a Brett Cini, or like a Fabian Zetterlund, or a Zignac or even a Maltev, like somebody who can, who's a little bit more well set for him, because I get the impression that Bokfest. He's not quite ready for the NHL after all, but he's definitely not gonna. He definitely wasn't gonna benefit if he went back to Sweden. Mm-hmm. I don't think going back to Bernis was a viable option. So now that all, Binghamton is a viable option and is a possible option, and they're using that for this week, eh? Maybe you move him back there for a, another week or so and see how he does. I don't know. At this point, that's kind of what you got to do at this at this point of the season. Is you you take you just experiment.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so here's my counter argument to all of that in terms of Binghamton's uh, alleged success. Like, yes, they've turned their season around. There's no doubting that. They rattled off what was it, an eight-game win streak. They had some nice comeback wins. Good yep. vibes all around in Binghamton. They are still 10 points out of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference of the AHL. They are so far back, even despite all this winning, that they may not end up playing meaningful games down the stretch of Binghamton, as it were. And if that's the case then why not give some other people an opportunity with New Jersey just to get adjusted to the game speed itself? There's a difference between you know men- mentally b- being in a league where they have more of a chance to win to up their confidence, but there's also a big difference that they have to understand, and I think that they can only understand by playing at the NHL level in terms of how fast the game works, how fast the other players think the game, and how fast the main team thinks the game, even though they're, you know, one of the worst teams in the league right now, they still work at an NHL level, which is very, very different than what they get used to in Binghamton. So if you can afford to give them the opportunity if players move, if someone gets hurt, I think you absolutely should be giving, you know, a bunch of people a shot. Joey Anderson seems prime to come up and play out the stretch for the Devils. Mike McLeod has been up and down all season. He's been making, you know, a little bit more with his opportunities than he did last year. Obviously, you'd like to see some production, but he's still getting a chance and running with it and slowly adjusting to the game speed. I think that is more important for the development of certain players. Now, if a guy is just going to sit and be a healthy scratch, if he's just going to play, you know, like you were saying, five to seven minutes a game, something like that, it's yeah. not worth it. Sit him in Binghamton, that's totally fine. But guys who have been up there, maybe they deserve some sort of opportunity to show what they've got. I mean, Sini's a prime example of someone who can score all you want in the AHL. He finds ways to do it, and every time he gets a chance at the NHL, he gets kind of buried down the lineup. He doesn't really produce much where he is, and it's tough to justify keeping him up there. So I think at least with Anderson, who is, um, I believe, a bit younger, And they have a little bit more invest in him. I'd like to see him come up for a good part of this last stretch of games. And like you said, maybe even keep Boquist in the AHL, build his confidence back up a little. Because in his first season, he's been through so many rough things from an organizational standpoint. And this is the same argument that could be made for Jack Hughes, but they would never, ever, ever send him down. Well, he has nowhere to send him to. Right. So (laughs) he, he can't go anywhere anyway. He's too young. But this is the same argument that could be made for like, okay... Maybe they don't need to just be miserable these last couple months of the season. They can be on a team that's managed to string some wins together. I don't know. But given that that's not an option for Hughes and it is for Boquist, I think it just makes sense to keep him down there at least for a little while to get readjusted to what it's like to win, really, because he managed to do that at a decent clip as a prospect. That's really all... I don't think it makes any sense to call them meaningful games if Binghamton is still way out of the playoff picture and we'll have to play at a pretty crazy pace to overcome that. Right.
1: Okay. Well, to that end, I can understand that and respect that. And there, there's a, there's a lot of truth into what you said. Um, I think I do think the Devils should still be in. They call if and when they call people up. Again, they should be a little judicious. I can see Sini getting a call up almost just to kind of reward him. He has been their leading scorer throughout the entire season. Uh, Anderson just recently tied him in points, so I mean, there's a good case for both of these guys. An interesting option is Nick Merkley. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was one of the guys that came back in the in the Hall trade, and he was scoring at a pretty decent rate in Tucson. He sco- he came to Binghamton and has been. scoring. Producing at a very good rate, a, a slightly higher rate, in fact. And, you know, at one point he was thought to have some legitimate talent. Granted, he's a little older now. He's had injury problems. So it's possible the train has passed him by. But if you're, I'd rather him get another shot than say Ben Street.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because, I mean, no disrespect to Ben Street. I understand he got his call up partially to think, you know, reward his AHL uh, all-star appearance that he's going to get, which... He's not going to get any more because he's injured, and Joey Anderson's going to replace him.
0: Right? Uh,
1: yeah, I just realized. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's not going because he got hurt in New Jersey.
0: Well, like parent uh, organization, like affiliate.
1: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but part of the point is that you know, it, it, I don't think the Devils are going to be in a position unless they get a massive rash of injuries at forward, like last season, where you're going to see all these guys call get called up and play in New Jersey for, you know. At any length of time. I think you're going to have to be a little more judicious and pick your spots accordingly. And I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I just think it should just be limited to the guys that I think the Devils think have a future, rather than spending it on just like, well, today it's going to be Fuzetterloon and tomorrow it's going to be McLeod and then tomorrow it's going to be Chris Connor mm-hmm. and tomorrow it's going to be, well, it can't be Chris Connor, he doesn't have an NHL contract. But you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, it's got to, you got, they have to put a little logic into like, all right, you're doing well, we think you're doing well, let's see if you if you can show that at the next level.
0: Mm-hmm. And really, all they have to do is show that they can do that more than whoever is currently on the team, which includes a couple of guys who, you know, don't really produce that much. Like, there's a real opportunity here as the season closes out in what is essentially a garbage time of three months in length. They actually have a good chance to show off their skills now. They have a good chance to play with, you know... They might even play a little more loose than they usually would, just because the stakes are so relatively low. They're high for them individually in terms of breaking into the league, but in terms of what the results of the games are, like I think the focus is much more on, you know, how do you perform at this point individually, moving forward into the future, rather than we need to field the team that gives us the best chance at getting wins. Right. Like I don't know if that's a huge concern for the Devils anymore, just because it it kind of feels like even if it was, it wouldn't lead to anything anyway. So I'd rather see them focus on, you know, who to keep around, who gets a more in-depth look next year as the team moves forward into yet another new era.
1: Exactly. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see with spots do open up and we'll see if they go down that route and take care of that as necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, that's all i've got john do you have anything else for us today
1: so just to remind people because again hockey will start back up for the new jersey devils in this coming week we've got ottawa on monday night um curiously there's not gonna be a lot of action in the metropolitan division because just as the devils and the washington capitals had the entire week off um a lot of the other teams are having the next five days off after um saturday so Mm -hmm. You know, they're getting their bye weeks in right now. But the Devils are active. They've got Ottawa on Monday night. They'll get John H- – not only will they get John Hines and the Nashville Predators on Thursday, but that same team will be it will be in Washington, D.C. the night before. So maybe, just maybe, the Devils will show up against an opponent that could be tired. <laughs> that might happen. Good we one. Might. Who knows? <laughs> we, we just might not. And, of course, on uh, Saturday, they're going to do the 2000 Stanley Cup team uh, – Honoring. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to describe it. The honoring of the 2000 Reunion, uh, Cup ceremony. Team. The reunion, tribute. ceremony, tribute. Okay, fine. Those were all better words than honoring. <laughs> the point is they're playing Dallas, and this is interesting. The Devils actually announced on Twitter that their uh, giveaway, which is going to be a replica of the Stanley Cup uh, ring from the 2000 team, uh, originally – and in general, for most of their uh, giveaways, they usually give it out to the first nine thousand fans or so that arrive at the Rock. Mm-hmm. They're actually going to give it out to anybody that shows up at the Rock that night. So, if you're going to that game on February first, you don't have to rush. You don't have to be at the door at five thirty or yeah, five thirty p.m. You don't need to, uh, you know, kill ninety minutes inside the arena after getting your ring. Show up normally, casually, be kind, and get yourself a nice ring. And maybe just maybe the devils will win that game because if you're going to win win on 2000 Stanley Cup tribute honoring reunion ceremony night
0: yeah win when, when uh, the important ceremonies happen and people actually come out and support for those reasons go ahead and continue to drop like a stone when there's no one in the arena on a wednesday night how about that
1: yeah. oh and speaking of potentially empty arenas get get your get your booing on because on february 4th the devils are are hosting montreal
0: oh boy Oh, and Ilya Kovalchuk returns to The Rock, where uh, all the magic happened of the 2012 season, and he's bounced around since then, but it seems like he's found himself a niche in Montreal. Granted, they are not a very good team either, but... No, they're not. But he's been doing relatively well, so I'm excited to see the fans' reaction to his grand re-return to The Rock.
1: I'm sure it will r- rhyme with woo.
0: Yes, as all probably means. with a harder,
1: probably with a harder consonant than a W.
0: <laughs> all right. So that all being said, thanks for the look ahead there, John. And that's been our weekend episode. If you got suggestions for games, if you got suggestions for topics, please feel free to comment on the post where the podcast is posted, or just send us some messages on Twitter. You know where to find us. Or uh, you know we'll put out calls for questions for the episodes as we record them as well. But thanks again for listening. I really appreciate all of you, and we'll see you guys next week.
1: All right, go Devils.